Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha, thank you for being here with us. This week we have the recording from ADE 2022, where the Exchange podcast was live with an audience. The conversation was between journalist and educator Saila Umar and dance music superstar Peggy Gu. I want to give a positive energy to other people that you can do this too. Also gives me a responsibility, uh, which is also a good thing to tell myself, you know, you got to be a good example. As you're about to hear, their chat covers decision making, the power of saying no, and the ins and outs of how Peggy works with her team. Plus, there is a very juicy Q&A at the end. So stick around for that. If you like the sound of all of this, hit the subscribe button to receive all future updates from us and I hope that you have a wonderful listen to Peggy Goo on RA's Exchange. Welcome everybody, good evening. Um, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Shaila Umar, and I'm going to be interviewing the lovely Peggy Goo for tonight. Um, Peggy Goo is an international DJ and producer, an independent record label owner, fashion designer, and all-round cultural icon. Welcome. Um, please give a big round of applause for Peggy. Thank you. Hi, can everybody hear me well? Thanks for the nice introduction. I just wanted to say it's very nice to see you all. It's nice to be back at the ADE after the pandemic. This is the first one. Yeah, anyway, thank you so much for joining me and let's talk about me. Let's talk about you. Um, and let's just start off with the first question. Uh, so I wanted to start off with, amidst everything that you're doing, um, how, do you, how do you stay true to yourself? Well, I think for my career, I always have been true to myself by listening to my instinct, first mm-hmm. of all. And um, also, I know the importance of saying no. I'm someone who believes in power of no, which a lot of people find it very hard to do sometimes. And um, a lot of people also says to me that you, do, you always do what you want, but I'm also someone who doesn't do what I don't want. And I think that's more important. And um, I think that that's that's a nice thing that what you're saying right there, because I also had a question actually that revolved around this. Um, Can you recall a situation in which, you know, um, um, you had a a career decision uh, um, that you had to make in which you also felt like, or that people might have said like, this is gonna make your career or this is gonna break your career. Can you recall a moment like that? Well, if I be honest with you, I'm going to try to tell you a lot of things that, well, I'm going to try to tell you a lot of things that you can't really Google about me. And a lot of people in the beginning of my career underestimated me. Um, and there was many people also said, Peggy, if you want to be bigger than this DJ or that DJ, you got to do EDM. Or you got to be doing this. You will never be bigger than this person. I heard that many times. Mm-hmm. And... When I talk about saying important of saying no, was that there were a lot of no's I kind of felt nervous about, or I would be like, I shouldn't have said no that time. But for example, the promoter conversation was, I have said no because I felt like the promoter didn't value me as an artist. So that moment where I thought to myself, I don't think this is right for me. And agent would tell me, you're making a mistake to saying no to this uh, promoter. Inside of me, I was nervous about it, but I have said no. Yeah. And I don't regret about it. That's one of the examples of being true to yourself. 
You know, if that, I didn't feel good about myself doing that show, for example, and I was saying no for that. So from, from early on, you already recognized the, your value, uh, the things that you would bring into, into the game as well. Um, and, and you already talked a few times about the importance of saying no. Uh, what kind of advice would you tell you know, the, 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 the newcomers, the up-and-coming artists, especially around this, this item, the importance of, of being able to say no and stay true again to, to what you think is best? So I'm someone who believes in power of no when it comes to not just when you're making deal, but when it comes to protecting yourself, your brand, and your health. And the advice that I would give, first of all, is that when you make a mistake or when you fail, you really need to own it. You can't blame on something else. You can't find an excuse because you never learned that, learned from it. And number two is take your time. This was my mistake and I had to learn it during my pandemic. And uh, when it comes to decision, when it comes to career, I will always tell people actually take your time. Don't rush anything. And anything, anyone makes you feel weird about yourself or give you weird uh, feeling on the stomach or doubt about yourself, let them go, whatever it is. And last thing, it's just uh, my personal, uh, I would always advise to people to learn instrument. It's your best friend. Yeah, and then especially uh, revolving around the producing or just again, learning a new language, because this is also something that you talked about um, like when you were 14, you moved to uh, London and you also had to learn a new language, but it also gave you a lot of new perspectives. Yeah. And how does this link up with, you know, learning a, the, the language of playing an instrument? What kind of perspective is gained there? Well, I think, first of all, when I moved to London with 15, I had to learn English. Mm -hmm. Also, there was no Korean student in my uh, school as well. I think when you learn another language, you learn another perspective, as you said. But instrument is, you can also say it's another language, but it's just that it wasn't, a, it was just for you to, I think it's just a nice thing to learn how to play instrument in your life once, you know, whether it's piano, guitar, it's, I think it's another language, basically. Yeah, okay, great. Um, I want to kind of move on to the, to the next topic which is uh, dealing with assumptions. Uh, this is something that you have been dealing with in the past, that people assumed a lot about you or had certain stereotypes uh, about you. How do you, how, how do you deal with that? How do you combat that? That people no, seem to know so much about you, whereas in fact... Well, the most of people who talk shit about me are the one who doesn't really <laughs> know me, by the, by the way. Um, Sorry, ask me that question again. So how do I deal with haters, basically? Basically, that's what you could <laughs> what somehow, I'm trying to ask here. <laughs> somehow, I don't really have time for haters, but mm -hmm. they have so much time for me. Yeah. First yeah. of all, <laughs> really. And, you know, if they hate me that much, they wouldn't be looking at, or they cared so much of what I do, yeah. you know? Um, but eventually, you know, I'm also aware that I'm at the position where a lot of people like to see me on top, but they also can't wait to see me fall. You know, so I get attacked for a lot of things, but the good thing, one of the things actually, I need to give a credit for, to uh, DJ Harvey for this. When the hater talks shit about me, I always say, say my name, say my name. <laughs> That's a really good one. Say her name, say her name. Say my name. <laughs> DJ Harvey said that. I give him credit for this. <laughs> and um, uh, 
one thing, for example, that is often assumed about you is that you have this huge team that is doing all the work for you. And basically, Peggy's, as it, in the words of the haters, isn't doing that much. But can you tell us about that? I work very, very hard, first of all. And a lot of <laughs> there is a lot of assumption about me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people actually do still think that I have a big management and big PR company. I do all my Instagram on my own. And I never had a manager. I do. I'm quite proud to say that I always manage myself. But the truth is, I just don't like when someone tells me what to do. <laughs> Since I was 15, my parents failed that. So I don't think there's anyone who can do that. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> and uh, I do have a great team who follows my visions. But um, basically, I'm a control freak. But, but also, at the same time, like, can you tell us a little bit more about how it works You know, to... Do manage yourself, especially with the the size of the artist that you are? It's an interesting question because I am someone who always wants to be a better artist. Every time I DJ, I'm always thinking I can do, I can play better, make music, I can make me better. You know, so that always, I don't know how to switch off my brain. I'm always constantly thinking about the next step. What can I do? do what can I do to be a better artist, basically? Um... To do that, I listen a lot of people. Also, I listen to a lot of music. I do a lot of research. But I always, it's very hard for me to explain sometime how do you process your ideas, right? It just comes to me, and it's really hard for me to explain because I just have a constant ideas. I don't know where this comes from. You know, sometimes it gets from the music. I get it from the museum, sometimes from looking at someone's art. Yeah. You know, it comes every different sources, but... So you, you find inspiration everywhere. Everywhere, li- yeah. yes. And also, so I have a clear vision when it comes to a project. And I have a great team who supports that. And um, I also don't like to listen to someone who tells me, you got to do this to be bigger. You got to do that to, you know, that was my beginning of my career. That I heard many times that people said, you know... Like I said earlier, I have apparently I had to do EDM to be big or bigger than someone. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> so, and if I if I understand it correctly as well, there was a lot of push to kind of you know do commercial things. Do I understand that correctly? Sorry. If when people were kind of telling you what to do and to do big stuff and whatsoever, was it then also was there a focus on the commercial side of it? Yeah, they just said, I mean, there's a lot of things can be said, but mm-hmm. that was part of it, yes. The, the commercial side. The commercial side, when it comes to music, when it comes to brand, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I definitely understand that you don't want to be a vehicle for, for other brands. I'm just doing me. Exactly. I'm just basically <laughs> doing being me yeah. and doing things that I love. And when it comes to brand, a lot of people can think that, oh, she's doing everything. Actually, yeah. there are more no's than yes that I do, in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, so you, and this is something that you already know beforehand, which projects you would like to engage in, yeah. which projects you have ideas for, and which projects you definitely do not want to do anything with. Yeah, something, most of the time I know it from first email. First email. Yes. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, and... and why would, why would you say that first email? Do you read it in the tone or? No, it's not about the tone. It's about brand. What does this this offer gonna do for me? Uh, so it has to be logical as and well. And also, I need to love it. Yeah. You know, it's um, 
basically listening to my instinct. If I am sometime a project, I think about, I want to do this type of project. So there is a project that I reach out first, but most of the project comes to me. And yeah, I think I, I say I reject the offers more than I accept these days. And um, I can see from the emails, I don't think this I need this. Yeah. Now, I didn't know how to say no before. So back in, before pandemic, I was kind of saying yes to pretty much everything, which was a mistake. And, and how did you learn to, you know, say no? And was your team, in, uh, did they influence you? Did they have an influence on that part, learning how to say no? Yes, I have a team who is uh, always give their opinion, honest opinion for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then during pandemic, I re- to slow it down, I realized I didn't have to do that. You know, I just want to do things that where I feel good about myself. You know, there are many shows or, or some kind of deal that I make. And then I was like, I don't think I needed this, you know. And of course, saying no comes from the experience, you yeah. know. Yeah. I was, it's, it wasn't like I was always good at saying no from the beginning. I'm expert now, but. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so uh, so if, if we would have to give advice to, again, uh, the new up-and-coming artist, uh, definitely do not forget that learning to say no is big part of it is in the process it and just makes your getting life the easier. experience yeah and that, it makes your life easier that saying no that two second is very hard it can look hard but it eventually makes your life easier yeah and i also wanted to um talk about um perceptions of scenes uh, i mean you've been literally around the world many times um you have probably seen more parties than probably all of us together um what what was one moment that you really felt like this is such a nice party and what made it a nice party i'm not saying this because i'm in amsterdam <laughs> but i love amsterdam crowd mm. i remember playing here at Dekmantel was a pretty big moment for me yeah. i felt the difference in my career after that and um, what made it such a big moment for you? It was a boiler room deck mantel, mm-hmm. and then I felt the difference after that show. The amount of requests or offers, or or also messages, and people who kind of messaged me sometimes. I didn't know you would know this record, and I was like, "Is that a compliment? <laughs> Why did you think I wouldn't know this record?" <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, but that was also another. It was an important gig for me. Um, in my career. It was a good set. I thank hear. you. Great, thank you. Um, and um, I also wanted to ask a question with regards to um, uh, the difference that you just spoke about. Um, you notice a difference in, you know, getting uh, more requests. Did you also notice a difference in um, how people would move around you? For example, the interaction you would had with fans or with critics to sort of say, and uh, or esteemed colleagues. <clears throat> After that boiler room moment, did you feel any difference? In I that? think I'm very good at connecting with my crowds. I use yes. also my social media by connecting, co- connecting with my crowds. But I'm also aware sometimes I get shit for my cr- uh, like mm-hmm. the crowd's reaction or their behavior. For example, recently there was a video of me playing my hit, and funny enough, that's the moment that I want everyone to dance. But this is the moment where everybody stopped dancing and taking a video. And I remember the one time in New York, I think it was a time where everybody just stopped dancing and I thought it was like Black Mirror, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah, the, there was a people taking video and who posted it and then people just give a comments about why 
she's ruining the scene that everybody's on the phone, you know, but that's, I can't do anything about it. That's, yeah. that's not my responsibility. If you want, want to talk about the, the interaction between the crowd, but I usually use, I usually like to connect with my crowd. Yeah. And I just had to mention that part because this yeah, and what I also like, uh, or at least what I what I notice in what you just said is the the ruining part and then the scene. But what is then meant with scene here? Like how how should we how should we look at I that? I think when, when they say that, I think a lot of people call it between underground and commercial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think as an artist, everybody wants same thing meaning you want as many as people to listen to your music that means you reach certain rich and streaming and certain followers does that mean you're commercial you know people who write so shit comments about oh she's ruining underground scene but most of people that i consider underground they don't use the word underground and they also don't call themselves underground do you know what i mean yeah. i don't really care if it's underground or commercial, I'm actually doing just what I love, and more people listen to my music, I think that just makes me happy, you know? Yeah. Whether you call me commercial, whether you call me whatever, it's up to you. Yeah, you know? so for, for you, it's really about your art and not whether your art is being put into boxes by, you know, whoever. Yeah. And let's not forget all those un people who call themselves underground. Mm -hmm. When they get the same offer as what I do, do you think they will say no? It's going to be very, very hard to say no, indeed. And um, also shying away from, from um, uh, the jobs that an artist takes or doesn't take. Uh, I mean, how much responsibility should you take for that? Yeah. I mean, as in when you, when, the, when you do the jobs that you like, uh, how much of the public's opinion is part of that? You're not doing it for the public is what I'm no. trying to say. Basically not. I'm just doing what I love. And whether you call it commercial or ruining, it's up to you. You yeah. know, I still think I, I believe in, like, I'm quite strong about my opinion. And when it comes to DJ sets, I think I play good music. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I listen to other people's opinions about it when it comes to my work. Yeah. I have this attitude, don't fuck with me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> As they shouldn't. And um, I also was listening to an interview of you today in which you talked about uh, genres. About, and to me, this also kind of uh, really blends back into the story of making sure that everything is categorized. Um, but that you also said in the interview that you were kind of stepping away from it, that, it, that it's not about, you know, Genre. being a house DJ, being a techno DJ. What kind of, what made you change that perception? In the beginning of my career, I was, I'm going to be a house music <laughs> DJ. And then I realized most of the DJs that I love, they play everything. Mm -hmm. And I realized that was wrong of me thinking I'm going to be a, this type of DJ or even music or even style. I don't really like to describe the genres anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I let other people to do, describe that. You know, I'm just doing what I love. Either it's techno, disco, house music. It's like I want to create my style and my set, being able to play everything. Um, different tempos and different genres. And I realized that from one of the show, actually it was Theo Parrish's show and uh, Plastic People in London. He, the way he was teaching, it just inspired me. I was like, how is it that you're playing techno and all of a sudden you're playing jazz music? You know, I was like, wow. Was this something you had seen before? Or was, was this really the, your first encounter with? I have seen a lot of killer DJ, but that mm -hmm. DJ set for me was quite inspiring. And most of my favorite producer also makes 
every music. It's not, for example, DMX Crew is a good example, the producer. He makes electro, then he makes some hip hop records, then disco, house, you know? This is why I, those, from those inspiration, I was thinking I shouldn't define a genre yeah. when it comes to my production or when it comes to DJ. Yeah, because it, it, at some point it also becomes very limiting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's your biggest, away, uh, biggest takeaway from moving in, you know, as people would say, underground circles and, and, and commercial circles? What's your biggest takeaway from being able to move between those two worlds? Or would you say that there aren't really two worlds? No, there aren't really two <laughs> worlds. I think that just goes back to the question, just do you do you? You do you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whether there is the underground or the scene, you know, like I'm just doing what I love. I'm just believing what, what I do. And I think basically you do you. You do you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, anxiety is obviously always a big factor in, in defining you, becoming you, and then consequently also doing you. Um, do you have a, a, a small piece of advice for people who are now Sorry. looking in the mirror and are like, I really want to do me, but how do I do it? How do I kind of shy away from listening think, to Well, I think everybody. the four advice that I gave you earlier, mm -hmm. it helped. One of the things, the most important thing is accept your insecurity, meaning on your mistake. You know, everyone's insecure in somehow in their way, right? Yeah. But you need to face it and accept it to be you. Yeah. But it's hard, you know, sometimes you're like, what's that mean, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think the first step is just accepting and acknowledging and that your own insecurity. Yeah. You know what? I fucked up. I, I'm someone who be, have a respect for someone who can say I fucked up. Yeah. You know, you only can learn from it. You want to be better. Because yeah. when I fuck things up, I always say, you know what? I fucked up big time. I will never try to find an excuse. It was because of that. It was because of her. You know what I mean? I accept it. And then just like my favorite word, going forward. How, what can I do to not make the same mistake? Yeah. yeah. So you, you also give yourself a really practical question, actually, that yeah. allows you to really analyze the things that have, uh, have gone wrong. So you can also then uh, change your, your, your approach to it. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. OK, great. Um, I kind of also want to move forward to the uh, the next topic, which is also something that kind of happens online, obviously the online world. Um, um, I want to talk about the the responsibility that always comes with, uh, or at least assumed responsibility that comes with having a platform. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about how it is for you to, I think you know, for example, still do your own Instagram? When it comes to platform, when you have a voice, when you think you have an influence, I think if you have a voice, I think you need to use it for the right purposes. For example, my Instagram, my social media, I use it for to give um, positive influence. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm focusing on, although people love drama. Um, but when it comes to responsibility, mm -hmm. you need to use the, your platform in the right way, but I also think you shouldn't force that because you should feel related to the subject. Yeah, and so what I'm also hearing here is that you are very aware of um, the performativeness that also comes uh, a lot of times with these platforms. Uh, and then I'm thinking about, you know, people would post a black square and that would then be the end of it. To me, that always seems like, do you really relate to what you're posting? 
Uh, and now you're saying that for you it's very important that you relate to what you post. Yeah. I mean, these days, you say something, people give you shit. You don't yeah. say something, people still give you shit. It's not a win-win situation. But you should just do what you feel and what you feel related to. And, and also, what you think is right to do, basically. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, for, to me, it also seems that if you don't really stand behind the things that you do, what are you doing then? Exactly. That's how I see it. Um, That's also going back to be yourself. Yeah, also. exactly. So that, that, and also really being uh, convinced that you are in the process of getting to know yourself and, uh, and, and becoming yourself. Um, that is something that's really nice uh, also to hear <laughs> from you. Um, I also wanted to talk about the, 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 the platform and then this position that you're put in. What kind of impact does it have on you that you are, are kind of already in a losing position if I say something, I get shit. If I don't say anything, uh, I also get shit. What kind of impact does this have on you, this position that you're put in as well as an artist? Sometimes I get pressure. But most of the time, I, like I said, it's also going back to the question. I will always engage with certain subjects that I feel related to and I feel the right things to do. Um, but, you know, I do get sometimes pressures and it's responsibility, but I always choose the things that I think is right to do. Yeah. You know? And uh, does your team also have a big influence uh, on, yes. on, on this factor? I also sometimes ask, ask advice and to my team. And they will always tell me honest opinion for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and when it comes to some subject that you don't really educate, you should know, even asking around, Google it, you should educate yourself before talking about certain subjects. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and especially before you boast about it as well. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that's true. One question that you'll, you'll see that is kind of coming back continuously is uh, the advice that you would give also to up and coming artists. Because one thing that I noticed when I was also kind of doing a bit of research about you and reading in the comment sections, um, the inspiration that you are for so many people. <laughs> what Thank does that so do much. to you? <laughs> what does it do to me to be a better artist, I guess? I mean, yeah. to give a better influence. I want to give a positive energy to other people that you can do this too. Yeah, but also the fact that actually people see, yeah. see that that kind of impact. Yeah, it also gives me a responsibility, uh, which is also a good thing, you know, to tell myself, you know, you gotta be a good example. And, and I think that this is something that's actually, uh, it hasn't been discussed that much when you talk about responsibility and becoming better. It's, it's, it's really about your art as well. It's not about doing it for somebody else. No. So you do for, care it. For myself, for my health, mm -hmm. and for my brand. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I also had one more, one more question, uh, again, relating to the advice part. Um, do you also sometimes get advice from your parents? Yes, <laughs> it depends. And also getting advice from not only the parents, mm -hmm. some of my team, some of my friends, and some other artists that I look up to. Mm -hmm. They're talking about the, the, the say my name part. Me mm -hmm. and Harvey was talking about this because I love Harvey. Um, and then he was basically talking about how do you deal with it when haters talk shit about you. And you know what? And then he just said, you know, that just means you're doing great. You know, let them, let them save your name. So that type of advice I would listen. And Lauren Gania, I love him. And he also told me, 
Don't feel like you have to be everywhere. You know, take your time. If you need the time, just go away and come back. People won't forget you. That's also another advice that I got from him. Take your time. Yeah. So also be very mindful of how you build your own pressure actually as well. Mm -hmm. is, that, is, is that correct? Is, yes. is that what I'm hearing as well? In yes. And also being present. This is something I'm working on as well, but that's also was another advice that I was getting. I do listen to other people's And, and what does that mean to be, to be present? In which way should we... Being present also means being present. Like being present also can mean when you go to someone, someone's art, artist show, mm -hmm. just enjoy that moment. Being present, I'm with you, I'm talking to you, I'm not doing certain something else. This is also being present. Yeah. You know, a lot of people find it hard to be being present these days, I think. There's, I'm working on it too. I'm yeah. not always good at it. Like, I do something, I'm on the phone, I'm doing something else. Like, being present, I think, is very hard. But if someone's good at it, it's, I also believe that it's a gift. Yeah. And, and uh, which steps kind of are you taking to be more conscious of, of the present? Which step as in like what am I doing to be more present? Yeah, because I, I can really relate to the part that you're saying that your 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 brain is like uh, has 16 tab tablets open yeah. and there's music playing somewhere. So I really recognize that. I think that goes back to take your time and take, take your, your space. Whenever well. you need a time and the space, take it because that helps you being present. Otherwise, you have so much going on and that shows, you know, I... Whenever I need time to be present, I always go back and be myself and think about it and then come back. And then that helps me being present with other people or even able to do my work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, um, some people know that you are uh, engaged in, in fashion uh, and some only know in music. Well, surprise, guys, he's involved in both. <laughs> um, are there any new upcoming projects that you... You could tell us a little bit about? Usually I want, don't really obviously. talk about my future plans, <laughs> but at the moment I can tell you that I'm working on my new album. But yeah, at the, from the fashion-wise, I'm mm -hmm. kind of focusing on the album more. I do my merch, but um, at the moment I'm focusing on the album. You will hear it. Okay, great. Super excited for that as well. Um, <clears throat> are there people from the audience that would like to ask uh, questions? How is it like to be a female artist in a male-dominant uh, industry like electronic music? And how, what piece of advice would you give to female up-and-coming artists? Eventually, one day, I'll be just called artist. But let's face it, misogyny is real. People still like to be call, call me female artist or Korean art, female artist, right? Um, I think we're in a good path, though. It's going, it's getting better. Misogyny is real. It's disgusting, and I'm kind of sick of it too. But you do you, basically. You know, don't let anybody else to bring you down because of you know. I must say, a lot of women, not only industry, but every woman has at least one experience where they feel like is this because I'm woman, you know? But I believe we're in a good path, and um, don't let them bring you down, and you just do you. Thank you so much. I have a, another one behind here. I'll come to you as well, one by one. How's it going? My name is Mike Nasty. I'm from New York City. Uh, I wanted to ask you as an independent uh, label owner, what, is it, what are three things that it takes to run a successful independent record label? Oh, 
Thank you so much for calling my label successful, first of all. Um, in the beginning of uh, when I was making good record, I wanted to focus on uh, upcoming new artists, Korean artists, but at the same time, I quickly changed that mind. I, I bring a lot of artists that deserve more attention, people that I actually think that is underground. And, but still, the music has to speak itself. The music has to be good. And um, the potential of the artist as well. And I think the energy also. I need to really like the artist too. Um, you can't really force it. So most of the artists that are on my label, I really get along with them and I really like them and I have a respect for them. Vice versa, that's why it works very well. Thank you. That. Thank you. I have one in the back. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm a Swiss uh, DJ producer in electronic music, uh, underground. Uh, Cares. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the underground cares. <laughs> no, just kidding. But uh, yeah, I'm also in the, in a position. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, this uh, this few days, uh, saying no and uh, like uh, everybody is thinking uh, I'm a bitch. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> being because a bitch I'm for one no. second makes your life easier. That's <laughs> yeah, my yeah, advice. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think so, so too. This is amazing because this is just uh, happening uh, these few days, these uh, last few days. And do you and also have a question for Peggy? Yeah, yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, That's okay. <laughs> I just wanted to share that. That's okay. Uh, how did you um, build uh, your team, uh, like the people around you, uh, sharing the same value than you? That's, That's good. actually a very good question. Really good. And first of all, thank you so much. In the beginning, I must say, I was a little bit nervous. But then I was like, I need to be myself. I need to give that advice, you know? But anyway... Building a great team was not easy for me in the beginning. I have a lot of experience where I met a lot of people who just think about their own benefits. And I, easy way to say, I got fucked over many times too, but I learned that. And um, it's actually quite an interesting topic because how did they come to me, you know? And now I have a great team where I can trust, but I'm also not someone who also pushes my team to do to be better team, and my team is doing great at that. Um, I think from my past experience, I have learned to choose people wisely. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for your question. I have one over there, I think third row. <laughs> one of the big conversations at AD has been about streaming revenue and whether that deal is fair. As an independent label owner, what do you think the most equitable solution is for artists to see their revenue? Uh, so the how much money they make from like putting their music on Spotify or SoundCloud or Deezer? What was the question? How can they make more money? Is that fair? Is it fair at the moment how much money artists see from on those platforms? It depends on the artist also, but you, maybe they're actually, I was talking to the producer, Devious One. Mm. I think he's making this program in the system where a lot of producers get more money. So basically, True. if you're playing this person's music, you can also kind of make money uh, so pay them directly he made the system we actually talked about this i think there are more systems that's coming up mm -hmm. to help the producers to be able to get more money and um it depends on the label's work but you don't only the streaming sometimes is not as much you if you get a great sync deal or publishing deal that's great opportunity for the artist but you don't always get that you know depends on the artist and the musics too yeah. Okay. 
Could you give the mic back to her, please? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Hi, Peggy. Hi. How are you going? Um, yeah, um, I'd like to uh, ask you, like, uh, as a Asian artist, if I may say so, <laughs> so what do you think the biggest uh, difficulty uh, to uh, kick out a career here in Europe, and how did you overcome it? Thank you. Thank you. As an artist, I had a lot of difficulty, but I never thought this difficulty came to me just because I'm Asian, by the way, first of all. Um, so going back to your question, you're asking me, how did I overcome the difficulty? But there was so many di di different type of difficulty. So may, can you be a little bit more specific? I come from China. So someone told me that I should use some Chinese percussion to make the tracks more unique. More unique. So, yeah. um, I, I kind of like, uh, um, take, yeah, that, that was, I just wanted to stop you right there because if that advice fails to you, if you get offended by it, don't listen to it. But if you feel like, you know what, maybe when I started, when I'm making music with Korean language, I also doubt about myself, by the way, and going back, but I have sent my CV to labels and even record store. Nobody ever replied to me. And now I always tell them, check your inbox. But, and also, every time I send a demo, mm -hmm. I, oh, nobody listened to uh, my demos in the beginning also. All my weed transfer was expiring without no one downloading. So you have to keep trying. It's not like I got the opportunity like this. The label, you don't have to pay me. Can I please work as an intern? I just want to learn. No one replied. Pretty much a few years, you know, I, but I never gave up. I was going out to get to know other people. Okay, who's the, you know, like I never stopped trying to reach out, even though also I had an experience working at the record store. No one, none of them also included me on in the conversation. They probably thought that I wouldn't know, you know what I mean? I have that kind of experience, but I actually never stopped. And other people's advice, this is up to you. If you feel like, okay, do you know what? This could be good for my career, listen to it. You try it. And if you're like, I also, from the beginning of my career, I was making a lot of music with Korean instrument. Then I had to stop at some point because everything sounded the same, you know? Mm. That's up to you. Me but too. my advice basically is don't give up. Thank you so much. Thank you. So Thank much. you. Uh, <laughs> we can clap for that, most definitely, please. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm going to go to that side, please. Hey, Peggy. Um, do you have a preferred method of discovering new music? That's very a very good short. question, actually. Um, I get a lot of promos, I'm lucky. But I'm also, when I find one artist, I always go on Discogs to listen to every song that they made. Um, I, vinyl store also helps. And also, asking a lot of friends, like once I see a little video clip, I'm always like into them. Like, send me this, send me that. And what else? Where else do I find my music? Also, by going to someone else's show, you find a lot of music too. I was in Berkheim every Sunday when I moved to Berlin. That was like my church. <laughs> and would you then afterwards like ask the DJ, oh, I heard this track, can you please tell me? Yeah. Especially if you can't I identify was, it. I was that annoying person. <laughs> I, I, was, I was always, because if I want to know, I'm always doing everything to, to find out. And mm -hmm. I would go to them and ask them, what is the record? And once you know that record, you can also Google about this label yes. and this artist. And then I would be finding out everything about this artist or this label on the disco. And doing that, you can already find so many artists and so many musics. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go to the front here. 
Hi, Peggy. Uh, I believe you created a great brand. Thank you. I think, uh, except being an artist and everything, becoming a brand is also important. And you can cascade it down to so many different activities. How did you do it? That's basically what this interview was about, I think, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> to be really but, honest, yes. But you know, that's really interesting because I actually never thought I was a brand. But a lot of people start calling me, you know, you're a brand now. And I was like, what does that really mean? It's like you're a brand yourself. You know, something certain, you do certain thing, it becomes your kind of your identity and style. And that's going back to the audio device, you know, not listen, doing your thing. You have to really believe in you and then don't let it anyone bring you down. I understand this is, can be quite cheesy and quite vague, but also never, um, always push yourself because I'm someone who always believed that I can do better and I can be a better artist. Always never be in a comfortable, safe zone. I always tell them to get out of it. You know you can do more. You know you can do better. And um, having good people around you also helps. That took me so long to, do, to build that, um, but they influence you. They influence your brand too. And saying no is really important to protect you as a brand. Yeah. But when it comes to identity and this direction, it's inspired by you or? I think that's the whole interview was about, that was me basically. No one was telling me what to do. I was just being me. I was just doing things that I love. I was doing, I was just listening to my instinct all the, most of the time. I was never afraid to say no. When it comes to protecting my brand, like I value my brand, you need to base, it sounds a little cheesy, but basically you need to love yourself <laughs> a little bit, you know, not in a narcissistic <laughs> way, but to protect you. And because at the end of the day, if you can't really take care of yourself, no one else can. And that's also protecting your identity and your brand and yourself. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for your question. I'm gonna go go bit to the back. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you. First of all, Sahila, thank you for guiding this conversation and Peggy for giving deeper insights and really clarity. My name is Shama and I would like to ask you, would you be interested in doing a show in Ghana? 100%. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. That was my question. Thank you for asking that question, but I've actually never been there. How is the music scene over there? Well, to say so, I moved there last year because um, I'm a DJ as well, and I play electronic music, but really basically Afro-electronic music. And when I went there, I thought by myself that only Afrobeats was really ruling, but the electronic scene is so, like, I don't want to say underground, but it is there, and people are really eager to get to know more of it. And I know for a fact that there are also a lot of fans over there that listens to your music. And at this moment, I'm trying to organize an event based on electronic music, but also getting people from outside over there to get insights and also recognition for it. Basically, being a good example, one day to answer your question, I would love to come. I mean, you play with me. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to the guy in the, in the back. Hey, Peggy. Great talk. Um, Working in the industry as a professional can be you know, pretty demanding in any capacity for most people. When you get to a level of you know, where you are now, where you've achieved so much and there's so much demand and pressure and also responsibility, which some big artists don't even want the responsibility, but it's there. 
does it ever get like really overwhelming? Do you feel like you don't really have anywhere to es escape from it? Like, how do you protect your your mind and your energy? You know, when you're in a space where it's, it's just must be relentless. Like, you're, everyone is looking at you all the time. So, like, how do you cope with that? Basically, that goes back to the one of the advice that I was saying about take your time. And uh, I have learned that during pandemic. I didn't know how to slow down. I was just pressuring myself. But then I look back, I'm like, who is giving me pressure? It's just myself giving me pressure. And I learned to the importance of spaces and, and time. And also, again, I'm talking about the same thing, having good people around you. Whenever I need to recharge my energy, whenever I feel like I'm too exhausted from physically, mentally, I always go back to Korea to reach to my family, for example, and I come back with different energy. And every December, I also do like healing sessions. <laughs> I think the whole world wants to heal um, from their own stress. But yeah, so, so yeah. having space and time for is very important. Would you say like being really honest with yourself and setting like boundaries of yourself is like super important for an artist? Yeah, because I didn't know how to do that before pandemic, but pandemic made me able to do saying no a little bit easier. And then when I never ignore the body signal, like they're sending me a signal and I'm like, okay, I need to listen because I made a mistake in 2019. I almost burned out. And the doctor said, if you go a little further, you don't wait, you don't come back. Game so on. I had to learn that from the heart this way, but um, I know how to do a little bit better now. Perfect. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. The third row. Hello, I'm Diego. I'm from Costa Rica. How to find the right balance between giving yourself time to create, um, find your sound and true art form, and also start trying to share and expo expose your creations because I don't want to skip steps now that I'm getting started, but at the same time, I don't want, I don't want to become a perfectionist and never publish anything. So. What does it mean being perfectionist here, though? Because <laughs> I'm perfectionist. <laughs> yeah, but so. like, n feel like you're never ready to publish, like your work is not enough yet. Yeah. I think once your work is done, you will know instantly, by the way. Okay. And the what was the first question again, sorry? Yeah, how to balance the, to have your time to develop. I always say that creative people need to do nothing to be creative. That's also going back to the question again, that having time in the space. But um, I think, you know, I was rushing that in the beginning of my career. Exactly. Yeah. But when I was actually making music, once it's ready, you will know. A lot of producer told me that gave me the advice too. Don't rush it. When it comes to music, it's going to be in your disco forever. It's going to be there forever, so don't rush it. If you listen back 10 years later, you need to love it as, as way as you love it now. So once you know, you will know. And I understood that when I made It Kehane. Yeah. So also going back to the part that you said about your instincts are quite important here. I have the lady up front. First of all, hi, I'm Madishu, and <laughs> it's super nice to, to be here listening to you, but since there's no time, uh, the question is, you mentioned that you're supposed to love your song as much in 10 years as you love it now. Doesn't um, the fact that you don't love it anymore, for example, in my case, doesn't it mean growth, that I've gotten better and my music is better, or am I supposed to love it just as much? No, there are tracks that I think I could have done better, but you know, from if if I listen to also my old song, there are a lot of songs that, that sound shit. But I'm just trying to say that 
try to remember that your music is going to be there forever when you die. So you need to love it. And my, personally, my aim is to create music that's timeless. I want to listen to it 20 years later and love it. But that's just, my, that's just me. Some people have a different ideas of making music. They just want to release certain things. They, I'm into this sound, so I'm going to release this sound. 20 years later, I don't have to love it. You know, some people think this way too. But from my perspective, I'm someone who thinks it's important to create something timeless because it's there forever. I also always strive for creating something like perfect, like I'm a control freak as well. So, but I always end up like hating absolutely the songs that I've done a year ago that I was absolutely in love with. Being perfectionate, being control freak is not a bad thing, by the way. Yeah, and this is you. one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm control freak. I'm perfectionist too. And I think it's good that you, that also means you never play safe. You know, you want to do better. You want to do more. You know you can do better. And I think that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, a lot of people that I respect are like that. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we've come to the end of, of, the, of the interview. Uh, Peggy, thank you so much for joining us and sharing insights uh, and uh, um, um, your experiences, personal experiences, uh, and the advice that you have also given. It's very appreciated. I would like to ask everybody to give Peggy one big round of applause, please. Thank you so much. Thank you so if much. If anyone is coming to the party tonight, yes. I can then show you what I'm good at. <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening to RA's Exchange with Peggy Gu and Saila Umar. You can browse our full archive of episodes on your favourite podcast platform. If you enjoyed today's episode, you might like to check out our end of year critics roundtable for a whole bunch of music recommendations. Be sure to subscribe to The Exchange to receive updates from us. And if you love this show, please do leave us a review and a rating as it helps get our stories to more ears. Until next time, take care.